Welcome to another episode of the Strive for 25 podcast, where our team is helping people build their financial freedom. And one of the things we talk a lot about is saving and investing 25% of one's income. And I'm your host, Joel Farrell. And each week we dig into the ways that people are generating more income to be able to save more money and the ways that they are investing that hard-earned dollar. And lastly, the how, how people are making these changes. Because again, we're talking about changes. We're talking about changing behaviors. Let's get into today's content so we can help you on your financial journey towards living a life with the power of choice. Welcome to another episode of the Strive for 25 podcast. And I've got an amazing guest today, Donato Callahan, and he's actually not that far from me here in St. Louis. So I'm excited to have him on here today. And he is the uh, co-founder of Bright Investors, which is a real estate uh, mapping company. Anyway, I'll let you introduce yourself and uh, let the clients, uh, let the audience know where to find you as well. Sounds good. Um, yeah, happy to be here. My name is Donato uh, from Iowa. Uh, graduated as a high school valedictorian before I went to Boise State, where I went to school for biology. and ended up winning uh, one of the prestigious Department of Defense Smart Scholarship Awards. Uh, that led to some internships in Washington, D.C., and the time of freedom to spend a field semester in Western Montana and got to volunteer for a month on a South African wildlife reserve uh, during my junior year of school. Um, after getting back from that, I ended up founding a, wholesale, a real estate wholesaling company before quickly transitioning into some bigger projects, including purchasing a four-family house hack here in St. Louis the day of my 22nd birthday and eventually getting into commercial multifamily syndication. So where now I have 172 units uh, in the Waco, Texas market and about 15 million in uh, AUM asset center management and our team's first 18 months. And right after I had done that, not to you know use any free time, I got connected with my co-founder, Drew McCluskey, and we spent the last year and a half building out Bright Investor, which helps people invest with confidence anywhere in the US and find those diamond in the rough properties. And so now by day, I work for the Department of Defense and I do multifamily investing and syndications on the side. And then also am working on Bright Investor to bring it to launch uh, at the end of this, mar- this uh, month in March, 2023. So what you're saying is you're a robot that doesn't sleep. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, a state, that's actually it. I got a software update running right now, uh, minimizing my need for food next. Right. Um, well, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I was so excited to have you on here because, you know, this channel, this platform, it's all about, well, how does the everyday person get ahead of it? You know, we see all the headlines about the billionaires and CEOs and whoever's got all these things going on, the, um, entertainers, we've got a million followers on Instagram and, you know, when you've got money, it's easy to make money in in theory. Right. Um, so how does the everyday person get ahead? And, you know, we've kind of kind of really narrowed this down, like the everyday person who may be earlier on in their journey. You know, if you're going to try to be able to save money, which then allows you to invest, right? Saving money, if you're just focused on cutting your budget, like that's only going to get you so far. The people that we're seeing to be able to get ahead and they're doing things in a creative way to be able to generate more income um, to be able to invest and leverage other tools and resources to be able uh, to get in the game. And you got a day job and then doing this stuff on the side. And that's kind of that, 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 that profile um, that we're seeing more and more of. And so we're going to dig into that and, and how and why that, that's working for you. So you mentioned all these things that you've been done, you've done in, in school, right? If you were to look back right now, all the things that you've uh, gotten into and learned and experienced and 170 plus units right now that you've uh, got under management with your groups, um, what would you say is the absolute most important thing that you were able to experience or learn 
during school and the project, the different uh, things that you, you were able to, to come across during school? Sure. So I always approached school with one defining principle at the front of everything I did. And that was that it's a tool. And it's a tool that I had to learn how to pick up and use. And depending on what my goals were, whether that's to be like a doctor or an engineer or business or to go start my own business, uh, whatever life I wanted to create, I knew wholeheartedly that it was my responsibility to pick up the tool, which was school, learn how to use it to build whatever I wanted to do. So I had a very central feeling of responsibility around that no one else is going to come take this class for me or make me take this test or continue to better myself via this education. So I knew that it was on me. And knowing that like, no one's coming to save me, no one's coming to make the life that I want for me, uh, definitely helped fulfill any um, goals that I had for school and help me continue to move forward. Okay. So you mentioned Iowa, DC, Montana. Uh, let's let's start with that and dig a little bit deeper on that in terms of yeah. like what those experiences were able to kind of help help you get, uh, open doors in, into. Yeah. So, you know, growing up in Iowa, I was in the Quad Cities and that's like Eastern Iowa. And when I was growing up there, it was fine. You know, it was, it was great. It was small. It was safe. It was comfortable. And as I talk to my parents nowadays, uh, they always say that the, one of the best things about Iowa is that it's great for raising families. It's great for that low cost of living and you can raise uh, good kids and have you know really great life in Eastern Iowa. And so growing up, my whole plan from the, when I was very, very little, I remember back to kindergarten was to get good grades I'm going to a good school and have no debt. I'm going to get a good job. And that was ingrained in me over and over again, even more so than in my, by myself, than my family, just that's what I'm going to do. That's the plan. That's where I'm going. And I had this intense pressure that I put on myself to perform at a high level academically because I had this belief and also fear of what could happen if I mess up this opportunity, if I don't get the best grades, if I remove potential opportunity from my future because I didn't put the work in now. So I hustled really hard <laughs> to get through all my schooling and get uh, solid A's. I ended up having solid A's from sixth grade all the way through 12th grade. So I think about seven years straight of every quarter having A's and graduating as one of my high school's valedictorians. And that was all so that I knew that I was not leaving anything on the table for what I could create and grow. Um, when I finally graduated uh, from school and my parents sat me down and said, hey, you did well in school. It's amazing. But here's how much money we have saved for you. And you can go anywhere you want. You know, you can apply wherever you want, but this is what you have. And after that, it's on you. So make whatever decision you want, whether that's going big fancy school somewhere and taking on debt or going somewhere in state and working it out or somewhere in between. Here are the options your life make the choice and i had read so many horror stories about student debt and i had very very uh antagonistic feelings for sticking out any unnecessary debt especially when i didn't have a solid income as an 18 year old and i didn't know my job prospects were going to be because i was interested in biology so i opted to go to boise state university and i went to boise state in idaho because I had spent maybe five minutes there on campus when I was there for a family vacation. I went, oh, that's nice. And when I applied, they, because of my grades, they gave me in-state tuition. 
I said, if you come here, we'll give you in-state tuition. And when I worked out the numbers, I was probably going to be able to get out without debt with maybe senior year left that I had to pay for. But I figured, hey, it's a pretty good risk to reward ratio. I get to go out of state. I get to you know start crafting my own path and forging ahead. So I took the leap and I didn't know a single person. I didn't know how great the uh, program was. I knew nothing about Boise State besides that my family had a couple of friends there and we'll see how it goes. Uh, upon getting there, my first three months, I had won a, a fellowship to go study our, um, our particulate matter for air quality. So studying how wildfires affect air quality and the hazardous effects it has on health. I had got a, a small scholarship for that. I was on the Honors College House Committee Board working with planning events. And I applied for the SMART scholarship because I had been in the library one day and I'd been starting off as an engineer realized don't really want to do that uh, other people are way more interested and way more engaged with engineering than i am that's and if success means i'm 3d printing turbine blades and building robots with arduino boards on the weekends that's not me so i need to switch my major now so i switched to biology because i always had an interest in ecology and the environment and thought well engineering has much more straightforward career path in biology does. So let me go online. And I literally looked up the words, how to not pay for school. And the library and I started looking for scholarships and I found one that was the Department of Defense Smart Scholarship. I'm like, well, that seems interesting. And I checked it out and it's a scholarship program that essentially pits you against undergraduates, graduate students, and PhD candidates from across the nation and pretty much every STEM discipline there is. And it is a way for the Department of Defense to recruit more students to come work for the federal government as opposed to the private sector, because there's a, a litany of benefits to the private sector and the Department of Defense found it difficult to recruit and retain talent. So they said, we're going to make the scholarship program. And what you have to do is get like three letters of recommendation, put in all the studies you've been a part of, your publications, your awards, your achievements. And granted, I've been in college for three months at this point in time. I have none of these things. So I was like, yeah, let's try it. And I put in for the scholarship. I got letters of recommendations from the people that I've been working with in the honors college, in the uh, air quality lab I was working at, and some advisors. Whipped up everything together, put my package in, and I applied. And the payoff, if you got it, was huge. If you're an undergraduate student, they pay you like $25,000 a year just in a salary to go to school. Plus, they pay for your entire tuition plus you get a paid internship over the summer, plus you get a guaranteed job when you graduate, with the caveat being that for every year that you have the scholarship supporting you, so for me, it would have been my sophomore, junior, senior year, I would have to work for the federal government one on a one-to-one -one payback ratio. So I'd have to work for the federal government for three years. And I thought, well, I'm going up against doctoral candidates across the entire US, let's just see what happens. So I applied. And halfway through my freshman year of college, I got a notification saying, hey, you're in the top 50% of your major. Like, great. Okay. Round two, move forward. And it was the last week of school's finals week that I got a notification that I did not win. I didn't get it. I was like, ah, all right, well, did my best. I tried. Let's uh, move forward. Then about three days later, I'm sitting in my small college dorm in my footy pajamas, which are extremely comfortable. I got my feet up watching the show and I got the sudden itch to just check my email and I got an email 
And with one line, it said, congratulations, you've been awarded the Department of Defense Smart Scholarship. And that changed my life. I ended up finding out that I was one of three biology majors in the country to win the award that year. And that started a whirlwind of getting security clearances and polygraphs and flying to DC. And now I'm locked into my biology major. And now I have a guaranteed job when I get out of school. It's amazing. And all this work that I've been doing since I was literally 10 years old has paid off because the original goal was always get good grades, go to a good school, get out debt-free, get a good job. So by the end of my freshman year of college, I did it. I had I'd done the thing. I did what my parents had wanted to strive for, what my grandparents had strive for. I've done the thing. I'm 18 years old. And I thought, I'm thinking to myself, that was kind of easy. I could do more than this. This is not my potential. So I decided to keep going. And that's when I joined a fraternity my sophomore year, got into more uh, social uh, engagements. And I started planning out, what do I want to do for the rest of my college career? And I decided, well, I'm going to go travel. I'm going to broaden my horizons and start tasting uh, what life has to offer. So I found a field semester in Western Montana, where essentially you could get all of your upper division biology electives done by going to live in a homestead in the middle of nowhere and amidst the mountains with grizzly bear country and you be meeting with hydrologists and ranchers and lumberjacks and paper mills and Native American uh, water right lawyers on their reservation and the amazing community. So found it. I applied. I negotiated my scholarship program to pay for it. Clutch. Nice. And nice. ended up, uh, I set it up. And then I remember when I applied, they're like, hey, this is great. You've applied over a year and a half in advance. So you're the first person on the list, but we'll keep you updated when the next <laughs> times to come. And I'm like, great. Uh, let me find something else to do. And I saw an advertisement for a trip to South Africa. I'm like, let me go do that. And I found the program called GVI. And I ended up taking the money that I've been saving because I saved all the money I made. I saved uh, my now my buddies now tell me that I was, they think that I was one of the most well-off college kids they ever knew, but I just, I'm not a big spender luxury brands didn't mean a lot to me. I didn't, I was you know paying for my food and my gym membership and a couple of other things, but I just saved all that money. So I didn't, I'm not a big spender. So I'm like, I'm going to go volunteer on a wildlife reserve in Limpopo, South Africa for a month and go do conservation work and help monitor wildlife and I'll do that. So at the end of my sophomore year, after securing the job, I went, okay, I'm going to spend the year working with my fraternity. And, and that summer, I got my first internship with the Department of Defense out in Washington, D.C., in Springfield area, or technically Virginia, yep. and spent 12 weeks interning with the DOD. And I got to go check out the CIA, you know, FBI, meet some awesome people, do the Washington handshake where they slap business cards to keep it going, and meet some amazing people do some awesome work and immediately following that semester i got to go to uh, western montana for 10 weeks i had days where i was laying in a hammock watching the mountains go by or watching the clouds kind of crawl over the mountains and you know at one point we had a grizzly bear run out in front of our cars we had a mountain lion come by our cabin we had you know a bunch of elk coming by and hanging out i got to you know snorkel the the rivers and 
checking wildlife, uh, wild uh, fish populations and really get to know what it's like to live a different type of life in the sense that I'm over here in Boise, Idaho. I'm going to school, I'm doing all these things. I'm on this hustle path. And over here are people who've been working for the forest service for 30 years. They have their cabin. They get snowed in for five months a year. And I remember distinctly walking away from that experience, realizing that the type of life that you never thought possible, someone's living it right now. There's someone out here who spends their days hiking, eating good food, and playing with their dogs in rustic Montana. And there's someone in New York City who's a Wall Street banker who is, you know, in penthouse apartment. And both of those things fulfill those individual people. And so I walked away from that experience realizing that there's no limit on what people can choose to do. And you can choose to do anything. I can just pick up and move somewhere and start doing it. After that experience, uh, that's when I immediately flew to South Africa for a month. And that was where I got a very close encounter with the fact that we're all human and nothing's guaranteed. And what we have here in the U.S. is a privilege, not a right. It's something that we have to earn. It's something that we have to fight for. It's something we have to defend. And it's something that we need to appreciate, especially seeing the resources that we have compared to other places in the world. And on a much more personal level, you know, when we're getting out of the Jeep and, you know, a massive Cape Buffalo steps out of the brush and there's 25 yards between us and the Cape Buffalo and it charges us and it decides to stop about 10 yards away and we escape with our lives getting back in the Jeep, you realize that nothing's guaranteed. <laughs> uh, death is out there. The march of time does not stop for anyone. And coupled, coupled with the fact that I came from Montana, I can see that life is what you make of it with the experiences in Africa showing me that nothing's guaranteed. If you want it, got to go get it. I came back from that period of time, the beginning of 2020. And I had just done my traveling and I was ready to finish out college. And that's when COVID hit. And just before COVID had hit, I had taken most of my money that I had been saving and I put it in the stock market because my parents were like, you got to get the stock market. Stock markets, you know, it's where you invest your money, you do your 30, 40 years, you compound and you make money, you should invest it. And I went, okay. So I put it in there. Granted, uh, my broker at the time wanted me to go into oh, uh, Apple and Lyft stock. Uh, and I decided, well, let me, let me do my own research. I ended up picking up NVIDIA. And I picked up NVIDIA when it was like 50 bucks a share before it went to like 350 per share post split. So I did well on that stock, and that's that's the that was more that was more luck than anything else. But uh, I watched my portfolio tank, yeah, within like the first month of COVID. Okay, so like that really happened March of 2020. So yeah. when did you put money in? Like what month? Like December, January, January like fifth or sixth of 2020. Yep. Okay. Yeah. It's perfect timing. So got in there and I'm like, oh yeah, stock market's great. I checked it every day. I'm up by like 150 bucks. Look at me go, killing it. And then all of a sudden my portfolio halves. Like you tell me that this person in a country that I've never been to did something and now I lost half my net worth. I don't like that. And I said the same words that every entrepreneur or wealth building enthusiast has ever said. That's There's got to be another way. It's got to be something that I can do to take more control over my own journey and wealth building process. And that's when I found real estate. 
it's around that time that I found a mastermind group called uh, CCF with Ryan Dossie. And they talked about wholesaling real estate. I said, that sounds interesting. I'll give it a try. So the summer of 2020, I started a wholesaling company. And the entire year of my senior year of college, while people were working from home, I built a, the company. I paid for mailers. I did texting. I did filing, driving for dollars. I got a job with a property management company and was their maintenance coordinator so I could learn how to actually get into properties, what to look for, what to see. Um, I made really good friends with one of the owners who was a realtor and they had another realty business. So whenever he'd sell someone a house, they would give them my contact information and they'd say, call Donato, he'll help you move in. And so I got to go meet more connections with people who were coming in, build up trust. And I would have people calling me every week or so saying, hey, this sold a house. Can you come help move us in? I'm like, absolutely, I can do that. And through that same uh, realtor connection, uh, I got introduced to a woman who was buying Airbnbs remotely from California. And she needed someone to go to her Airbnbs, drive around the city of Boise, find furniture, get them furnished and set up the entire Airbnb for her. So I did that. And I asked her what she was looking for and I asked her questions and what she was interested in, why she was doing this and learned about her picture brain on the strategy. While at the same time, I'm going to department stores with my phone taped to my chest, just showing her, do you like this couch? Do you like this couch? <laughs> do you like that plant? And in that same year, I got my first um, wholesaling contract. I locked up a property it for, um, I think it was like just under $200,000 and I got it signed and I got it assigned to end buyer for like a $25,000 fee. And it was like, finally, I'm doing it. I pour money into it. I'm going to make it happen. This is awesome. I spent all my waking hours doing this company. And about like a month before closing, I got a letter from the seller's lawyer saying they wanted out. And it was a situation where the seller was out of state and the person who's living in the home was their son who wasn't taking care of it. There's a lot of emotional stress there. And, you know, I can, you know, theorize all I want about why the seller wanted to back out. But at the end of the day, she wanted out. And I had to make a decision. Was I going to try to enforce the contract or was I going to cut my losses and you know, let her out? And at the end of the day, I decided that I didn't feel like I had it in me to enforce this contract, even though legally there was a standing. Uh, emotionally, it just took too much of a hold on me. I just couldn't do it. So I let her out. I ended up burning that bridge with the end buyer because you know I let the person out. And I decided that wholesaling wasn't going to quite be for me. Like as far as my, my main squeeze, it's not quite for me. It works for, great for a lot of other people. And I know people who, who are so successful and they help a lot of people in tough situations. But that was just my first experience. I was like, that's not quite the taste I wanted to have. So I thought, why don't I start looking at what other people do? Where are they successful? And the more I researched, there was a pretty well uh, walked path on where people started, where people ended up, or conversely, where people wish they had started. And by and large, the answer to that question was house hack. Get a house hack, start there. You're going to reduce your living costs. You're going to start building wealth for your mortgage pay down. You're going to be able to maybe even cash flow on top of it. Go house hack. Every person was like, I wish I'd done that. So I said, okay, I'll do that. So I spent, while I'm also doing the wholesaling company, spent about a year checking about 60 to 65 properties that had come up in anticipation of when I was going to be uh, leaving uh, Boise and moving to St. Louis. And 
eventually I found one that came online about May, June of when I graduated college, came online about a Friday, called an agent that I've been called, I've been talking to for over a year at this point. Uh, he had been following up with me every month, like every month or two, which is awesome. And ended up finding this great fourplex that I'm in now and closed on it the day of my 22nd birthday after I graduated college. And during that time frame that I was closing down the wholesaling company, working on buying my fourplex, uh, another individual in that mastermind that I'm no longer part of, but he had asked me if I'd ever thought of multifamily. He's like, you know, you're doing uh, wholesaling. Well, people typically do wholesaling. Maybe they do flips and they get into rentals and then they do rentals. Maybe they get into midterm or short-term rentals and they get into some larger complexes like eight and 12 and 16 and 20 and 50 units. And then maybe they do self-storage or maybe they do large multifamily syndications. But that seemed to be like the natural, more or less rule of thumb evolution of real estate. So he's like, have you thought of doing multifamily? And the more I looked into it, I'm like, well, if everybody's ending up doing big apartment complexes or big you know, syndications or big deals the later head of their career, why can't I do that now and just skip the middle stuff? So I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So we found a 96-unit building in the city of St. Louis. And while I was graduating college, I wrote an offer on it, got it accepted, hired contractors, um, was doing financial due diligence on an underwriter. And the day that I graduated college, we road trip back to Iowa for three days, took forever, got back home like 10 o'clock that last night. And by 5, 5 a.m. the next morning, I was in a car driving to St. Louis to go walk this property. Met my contractors, met the seller, been working on it for a couple months. And we get there and we have some questions about the seller and the financial information didn't end up matching what we had thought we had been told and what the information was we've been provided. And at the end of the day, that deal ended up falling apart due to some financials on the uh, seller side. So I'd spent this money, I'd spent this time, but I'd learned a lot and I'd taken all this action to get to where I was. So I had graduated school, had this fourplex that, was, that I disclosed and moved into. I was starting a new job, the Department of Defense. And uh, my old landlord from college reached out and said, hey, I know you were working on multifamily stuff. I'm joining a multifamily mindset, uh, the multifamily mindset's the name of the group, uh, joining their uh, coaching program, or mentorship program. I've already paid for it, but I need a plus one. Do you have interest in, you know, just going through the class and all my education with me? I was like, sure. So she attended this conference. She met like, dozen people and we had this big Facebook group afterwards and we started looking at apartment deals and I took some of my experience and I brought it to the team and the team ended up splitting into six and six and the people that, that those six people are who I'm working with today and that was around August September of 2021 and around that same point I decided let's make multifamily happen let's let's do it and uh, I ended up designing our inflow system for how we get properties all the way to when we offer on them, which I call phase one infrastructure. And in the next, oh geez, I want to say like five to six months, we looked at 96 different properties, maybe offered on a dozen, gotten the best and final like on four. And we got our first property um, around February-ish 
February, March of 2022. And then we ended up closing on it in July of 2022. And I got to fly to, I went to Vegas, got to speak on stage as a new student for the conference, got to fly to our Waco, Texas, do due diligence trips, meet some amazing people. And when we closed on it in uh, July, it was like, hey, we did it. We did it. We're doing it. And now our team is working on our next acquisition. We I just got back from another conference for that same group in Orlando. Got to get on stage again. Got to meet some awesome, great people. And we're working on our next transaction right now. And it just kind of stair-stepped our way from I'll try this to I'll try this to I'll try this. And not letting my inexperience or relative youth get in the way of building the life that I wanted to live. And all that's to say, I was doing the syndication, doing this deal. And around the same time that I started doing multifamily syndication, that August, September, 2021 timeframe, I got connected with my co-founder, a bright investor, Drew McCluskey. And we just started talking because he was coming off internship with Brandon Turner and he'd been working with some really cool people doing syndications and he wanted to get into syndication and I was just getting into syndication and we started having like a weekly or bi-weekly Zoom call. Just saying like, hey, let's, let's, let's meet up. And all that started because I dropped a Facebook comment on one of his posts saying, I'm looking to network with people. So I dropped a comment and said, hey, my name's Donato, love the chat. He reached out, started doing Zoom calls. Every week or so we get on, talk about syndication, exchange knowledge. And after like our fourth or fifth or sixth Zoom call, I told Drew, I want to show you something. And I shared my screen with him and it was one of the early um, prototypes of what eventually became Bright Investor. It was a map that showed real estate data to help find those diamond the rough properties and make sure your location is great. And I showed it to him and he went, whoa, I'm working on the exact same thing. And he shared his screen and he was doing the same thing on a national level. And we went, oh, we got to do something with this. So while we're doing syndications on one hand, on the other hand, with him, we raised our first seed capital, hired our development team, started our branding, and you know, first day of 2022, we started we started development. So this entire year of 2022 that we just finished up, we've been developing Bright Investor. We've been I've been doing multifamily syndication, managing my fourplex, and then working for uh, the Department of Defense by day. Um, until we got to here today, but that, that's kind of the whole thing. I went off on a tangent there, but that's that's where we got to uh, here today. So, um, are you are you powered by Apple, Google, Microsoft? Who who does your <laughs> internal uh, uh, operating system? Um, uh, yeah, so uh, Elon uh, sent me a new OS okay. recently that okay. I got running nice. on. Nice, <laughs> running on electric. Um, so I have a couple questions for you. Yeah, so, for sure. So. You know, you're going, right? You're going and doing all these things, you know, and in each of these different kind of projects, we're, we're taking you into different places, right? What were your friends, your network? What were, what were they saying to you along the way? Like, oh, what man. was, what were their reactions? Who, who, who were you, were you having fun? Were you having, you know, time to enjoy it a little bit? Yeah. Um, according to my family, they'd say, no, they'd say, I, I just work all the time. Uh, I specifically remember, though, my senior year, some buddies of my in my fraternity took us to uh, Park City, Utah, where his family had a house. 
we were there for like a weekend and buddies were in the in-home theater playing some games and i was on my computer making a list of st louis contacts i wanted to introduce myself to in in advance of uh buying my fourplex i was calling blenders i was calling brokers i had a crm going and i was taking notes and i remember one guy specifically walked by and he's like why are you doing this like who who showed you how to do this what's the point why, why are you doing all this like where do you get it from and that's when i had a bit of a realization moment like oh i'm doing something different like other people are i'm doing something that other people aren't doing or don't know about or don't have an interest in i remember just telling him it's like why not why not this is let's try it if everything i'm reading everything i'm seeing is telling me that this is the way to build wealth and become free and achieve the life that you want to achieve whatever that ends up being for you why would i waste any time because I, for me, like I got a lot of value off of the simple hobbies I have, which is going to the gym um, and overarching all this, I've had a long relationship with the gym. You know, I went from like 220 to 130, from 130 to 260, back to 180 to 270. I do a lot of, you know, bodybuilding, bulking and cutting. And so going to the gym for two hours a day, that's all I needed. Going to the occasional movie. Uh, playing board games. I'm a big board game guy. Uh, those hobbies and occasional things were really fun for me. And I like doing them. They're low cost. And uh, But beyond that, I really enjoy the work in the process. Like getting to see uh, the, something that I'm working towards get bigger and bitter, uh, bigger, bigger, a little more refined, a little better, a little higher quality, and know that everything I'm pouring in is developing the future that I want. Oh, just put that right into my veins. That feeling is just amazing. So I had a lot of fun, but the process was the most fun for me because I knew that I was taking action. So I love that. And not everybody's built the same way, right? You know, like me, me personally, you know, I've been in the mortgage industry for a long time, since 2006. And this podcast and my Instagram channel all started in 2022. Like, and I never even, this never even entered my brain until last year. It all just kind of happened. This, mm. this platform is something that I've been thinking about. How, how can I help somebody accelerate their process of trying to be able to get ahead and build well? That's something I've been thinking about for a while. But this part of it, the execution of the delivery is something that I never even really thought about. And as I've gone down this path, you know, I got my friends, my family, you know, people in my network, right? But like, there was a part of me that like, I, I wasn't letting out. A part of me that I wasn't, you know, there wasn't anybody in my circle that was had the same vision that I wanted. And once I started getting more active online and then connecting with other people and like my Twitter following is like minimal. Like I have like 300 followers on Twitter, right? Um, but I'm more active on Instagram and I post every single day. And But Twitter was really something where there were people engaging, people in the similar positions that I were, that were trying to build, help people or get ahead or, and post and help each other grow and all, that, all these things. And people react, you know, reaching out and supportive and kind of build, building my own little tribe of people that had somewhat of a similar goal. And I was like, oh, now, now I get it. I need to go build my own tribe of people that are going the same way. And it's like, I wasn't getting that in my little bitty local area, but like by having the access and kind of being able to be active, more active on social media, it's like, okay, now I'm going to go find people that are doing something similar to me. And like, one of the things that I did, like, my this industry and mortgage has been really rough this 2022 and right now the, the amount of transactions has gone um, you know, exponentially small 
And so there's a lot of you know uh, people struggling in our industry and people getting out of the industry and layoffs and all that stuff. Um, and so I knew like what I was doing before wasn't going to work going forward. So I started this new path. And I built this habit, you know, um, in in June and July, where I started the Instagram channel. I was going to spend time every single day, even if it was just two minutes, on this platform, and kind of a, uh, dovetailing off of James Clear's Atomic Habits, and you know, you know, get up with the kids, get them ready to school. My wife and I help out with that, and then I go to work. And then by five o'clock, my wife's working; she's a counselor, and so I take over for the kids. It's dinner, it's you know, playtime, it's um, uh, bath, and then get them ready for night night, and then I'm you know, getting them down by eight 30. And it's like, as I'm getting them ready, I was like, I got to log in. I got big things to do. Like, and that anxiety and stress would just like crush me. And I had just, I had to figure out a way to be able to take the pressure off because I, I had big goals, but I just was getting in my own way. And that book just, it was, I was ready for that book. They really hit me atomic habits. And so that two minute rule, you know, if I just log in for two minutes, I'll set a timer. I'm going to log in for two minutes. And then if I just stop, that's good enough. And so that was something that helped me. So I went down that path and I built this habit. I kept going, I kept going. And so after going through that, that process, then when I saw somebody on social media that had a low amount of followers, but was posting every single day, like I was, it's like, I know, I know what they're doing. I, I see you. I see you, bro. Yep. I, see you, you, I see you, girl. Kindred spirit. Yeah. Right. And, and that, that was something that helped me really get that confirmation is that, you know what, what I was doing, you know, in a matter of time, it was just a matter of time. I'm just going to keep, if I, if I just keep going, it's just a matter of time that these things, these results will start to show from, with a visible eye. And that's why I really want to talk, you know, kind of dig, dig in about this. Is like you're saying that process is something that you got enjoyment out of. You know, like mm-hmm. I know in my college days, like I played baseball um, and we had fun, we partied and did all these things, and uh, and I had fun doing that. But like other people, you know, have all their other kind of intermingling things that they can also find enjoyment from. And so, um, you know, the process, right? Like most people are fixated on the results, and when you don't get the results, you lose confidence and you, and you stop. But that process, if you can get that dopamine heat off the process, you know, mm-hmm. that's the thing that, that translates. Oh yeah. Now, I mean, I meet so many people who are uh, interested in doing maybe real estate or entrepreneurship or really any passion project or venture. And they're like, I'm going to do this for a month or three months. And then I'm going to get this. And I always approach from a different way of, I'm just going to start building this thing and have fun doing it and enjoy it. And that means way more to me than actually paying off. I mean, oftentimes my, even my friends and family will tell you, uh, I'll be working on this thing and I'll finally hit the payoff, finally hit that payoff. And I'll go, Oh, cool. Okay. Let's keep going. It, Cause like, that's like, it's a byproduct. It's not why I'm here. If I like just this last week, I had 18 hour days, two or three days because that's what it took. That's what I'm here doing. If I didn't love spending my time, investing in my own creativity, building platforms, doing what really fulfills my spirit when it comes to building, the payoff would mean nothing because I'd spent all this time doing it. It is the work that's put in, that hard day's labor, that creation that makes it so much more worth it whenever I'm doing anything I'm working on. So let's just take a second and dig into Bright Investor. So you know, Bright Investor is a byproduct of, you know, yours and Drew's own kind of journey through the investing world, which again, you know, I know a couple other people that were investing in real estate, um, their senior year in, high, in college. That is not a common thing, obviously, <laughs> to be doing that. Um, so 
but that was a, that was the byproduct of, of your own journey uh, and um, successes and struggles. So, what what does Bright Investors solve for the everyday person that's trying to get into real estate or learn more about real estate? What, what, what's the what's the problem that you guys solve? Yeah, so what we help people do is invest with confidence and find those diamond in the roughs, diamonds in the rough, really. And we do what we do that is by visualizing trusted real estate data because the golden rule of real estate is location. Where you buy matters so much. Every book, every article, everything you read about real estate will tell you that location, location, location is what you need to look for. Because there's a reason that a two-bedroom one house in you know, Michigan is $50,000 and a two-bedroom one bath in California is 1.2. The main difference, same floor plan, same everything, is where it's at. And where you're buying can affect so many components of your real estate experience, including the tenants that you're going to have, different maintenance on the property, your cash flow, your flood insurance. Everything that makes real estate successful or fail can be derived from your location. That's why people spend so much time on it. The hard part is knowing what's a good location and how to find it in a way that you can actually understand, in a way you can afford, in a way you can take action on. So if I'm a Boise, and I'm trying to buy a house in St. Louis like I was, I had to spend no less than 15 to 20 hours finding either reliable people, reliable websites, looking through all the different information they have, following sublinks, checking citations, compiling all the information, reading information and trends of what's going on in the market. And then I have to take that, memorize it well enough to where I can go apply it to a real world transaction. Not to mention any cost there might be with accessing uh, data sets or not knowing if there's a data set available or failing to find a single data set. And so what we decided to do was solve that. And through our personal experience in real estate, through networking with other professionals and through uh, my experience as a geospatial analyst mapping things in day-to-day -day job, let's say, can we take the information that real active investors and prospective investors need to make informed decisions about a location and visualize it in an easy to understand way so they can constantly vet any property that comes their way? And the answer was, yes, we can do that. And so we did. And what we have right now is you can take any property, any lead list, any you know off-market prospects and upload it to our platform and overlay it with population, population growth, job growth and jobs, not only by overall, but by industry. So we can tell you, is healthcare going up and is tech going down? Uh, we also have crime. So you can see not only crime risk by zip code, but it's awesome. We have the address specific pin by pin locations for what crimes are happening where street by street. So I can drop my address, put my pin in the property I'm looking to buy, turn on crime and say, oh, there's a there's been a violent crime here three weeks ago, and if I check my crime trends, crime is trending up in this area. Okay, something to know now. We also have school rankings and local businesses. So for our short-term rental folks who need to be in close proximity to a hospital and a Starbucks, we can showcase all that information. And we also have appreciation. So we track median and average sales prices for zip codes across the US and then calculate the appreciation year over year so you can see how individual zip code is trending in anywhere in the U.S. to say, okay, if I buy here, it's been trending up, it's been trending flat or trending down. And you can stack 
all those layers on top of each other. So you're not just looking at, is it by good schools or is it by a good the businesses that I know my renters are going to want? I can see it's by good schools. It's good by businesses that attract um, the type of lifestyle that renters want to have. It's in a highly appreciating area. Oh, did I forget rent? We also have rent trends and current rents. I can see it's in a low crime area and I can see it's in a market that has increasing population and job industries that I want to see. And you can take all of that and see it in five minutes. In one place, some of the most reputable, verified data vendors in the name of real estate. That's you can awesome. see I get excited about this. This is I love right? this so much. It's so exciting. So, man, we, we're running, we're running short on time here. I think for for your schedule here. So, I, I don't want to gloss over this. So, just kind of recapping. So, you've got your multifamily that you purchases in St. Louis, and for yep. the audience that's from St. Louis, that's in St. Louis. I've got a couple of four families in Northampton, um, just southwest of Tower Grove Park. Right. Oh, uh, nice. So like, which direction are you, are you at? Yeah, I'm in Tower Grove South. Uh, I'm right there, Ben Park West, Tower Grove South area, cool. right by Arsenal. Oh yeah, cool. And but then the multi um, complex that you purchased was in Waco, Texas, right? That's correct. Yes, we do our investing in North and uh, Central and Northwestern Texas. Okay, so how did you get there from all the other places you were looking? How did you arrive in Texas? Yeah, so with the multifamily team, what I do on the team is market research. Uh, so you asked earlier about the applications of what we're doing to both re- like re- kind of residential real estate investors, but also to multifamily. It has a pl- you know applications to both. And what I was doing for markets was I need to be able to prove to our team why are we investing in this city, this uh, neighborhood, this zip code, this street, and why this property. And so I would talk to if those who aren't familiar with multifamily syndication, you typically have a sponsor or someone who has a lot of experience and the high net worth to be able to sign on a loan. So I'd be talking to them and I'd ask, what do you guys want to see when I present to you a property on the market? And they'd say, okay, I need to see this. Like, I need to see a presence of fast food restaurants and major commercial retailers. And I want to stay away from areas that have you know, businesses that could uh, detract from resident quality of life. I want to be in a lower crime area. I want to have um, a lot of cops nearby. I want to have a pop, uh, city that is a growing population in different diversified job industries. And I'm like, I'm just writing this down. I'm like, okay, this is, this is gold. And so I would be going and I make this massive spreadsheet of, you know, three or four dozen cities in the state of Texas because we knew they had landlord-friendly laws and favorable tax codes. And I would go one by one and I'd find, okay, what's the population for this area? Okay, great. Is it going up or down? Okay, great. By how much? Okay, great. How many jobs are here? Okay, great. In what industries? Okay, great. And then I look at for each property that we're looking at, what businesses are in a couple mile radius? Okay, update all that. All right. How, what is the what are rents looking back? What are the comps support for this area? For what type of floor plan? And I would take a look and notate all the different comps and what those are renting for in the area and say, all right, good to know. And then I'm looking at each individual city's trying to find a crime map that's updated and find, okay, well, is my property I'm looking at in this section or is it in this section? Is this going up or is it going down? Uh, okay, maybe I'll call a local police department. And sometimes I would, and I'd call the police department and say, do you guys have any information for me? They go, uh, you can go talk to Tim and uh, IT. Like, okay, and go talk to Tim and try to get some information. And so I would make a list of massive spreadsheets that would take me routinely five hours at a time, every Saturday, Sunday, just going to work on it. Every new property we got, 
go to the coffee shop, work for five hours, put this information together, all just so that I feel confident presenting this deal to our team because I've done the due diligence work to understand why this is a good investment or why it's not. So I would do all of this work to put together this package and bring it to these sponsors to do this deal. And the reason that we ended up going to Texas was because the people that we were working with, our sponsors, they've done a ton of transactions in Texas. They have management companies uh, they work with in Texas. They know contractors in Texas. And so it was my job to say, great, Texas is an area that we have vertical uh, scalability because they know the people, we have the systems in place. So now my job is to go find the best places within Texas and the best neighborhoods, the best properties in those neighborhoods, in those cities, in this state that will yield the best returns and best possible project for our team to take down. And if I had had a tool like Bright Investor, dozens, if not hundreds of hours over the course of this last year and a half, two years, money saved, time saved, confidence boosted, and the ability to get to action taking and actually closing a deal so much faster. I love it. With that being said, right? Rates have been all over the place. Like our mortgage rates in December of 2021, we were locking rates in the low threes. And that earlier in the year, we were locking rates in the, in the mid twos. It was crazy. And then 2022 happened. And, you know, from that point until like May, we were in the mid fives and then June mid sixes. And like literally like the earth started sp st stop spinning in our industry. Like the amount of applications just dropped off a cliff. And, you know, the activity has dropped down. Confidence has dropped down. People, I think collectively, whether it be the media or the word on the street or whatever, uh, are all saying, hey, there's probably going to be a big crash mm -hmm. uh, in prices. And at the end of the day, we haven't seen that. I mean, some markets have gone down. Some of the luxury higher price prices have gone down. Um, they always do. But mm -hmm. from a, the middle of the road pack and below, there just isn't a lot of inventory out there. And so despite the amount of buyers being pushed out of the market in terms of just you know being able to qualify with rates being higher, you know, man versus supply is still in somewhat of a bounce because prices haven't gone down and it's just there's no inventory. And so like when I see headlines of 2009 and I see a headline about foreclosures or bankruptcies or, or haven't done this much in 2009, well, like everything's relative because, you know, first off, there were no foreclosures or, or, or evictions for how many years because of the moratoriums. Of course, if they're going on now, they're going to be higher than we were last year or the year before. Um, but the amount of inventory that's on the market right now is about a third of the or a fourth of what was going on in 2008, 2009. And so, you know, and like when you look at the demographics from the major buyers, the household formations, and this is data that I'm pulling from uh, MBS Highway, uh, by the way, who mm -hmm. provides this data and other people like that. But the amount of Gen Xers, I think in that time frame in the mid 2000s, that was that primary buyer. The it was like 50 million, you know, in, in terms of the, the Gen Xers in that the, the demographic. And right now, the millennials and, and Gen Z in that 20 to 30 age age range, there's like 30 million more people in that in that in that uh, demographic. So uh, you, you top that with the amount of building that's going on, the amount of building that's going on now versus back then is you know a, a large. Uh, the percentages are a lot lower now than they were back then. So mm -hmm. like all that together, there's not a lot of inventory versus the, the demand, pent up demand. The people that are even thinking about buying that they want to buy down the road, maybe when rates go down down the road. So um, I, I say that out loud because that's what I'm seeing from a data standpoint. I'm just curious, you know, which, what's your outlook on real estate a year, two, five, 10 years and beyond? Yeah, I completely agree with your assessment. Um, first and foremost, as evident by my working on Bright Investor, 
I believe that the real estate market isn't just your town. I believe it's the nation. And the sooner that people can see that real estate investing can occur on a national scale, the more opportunities open up for you. So it's not, and then this three block radius, what's the best property I can find? That's why you routinely see people even on social media or people who are more you know, private will be living in one state and investing in three others because that's where the best return is. And that's what I did. Originally, when I was going to graduate, I was going to go move to DC. And I, I knew I wanted to get into real estate. I knew I was interested in you know, lower cost of living. And I made a choice and I said, hey, boss, I want to switch my location to St. Louis. I don't know anybody in St. Louis, but I know it's a better location for what I want to do. And I moved to a new city I'd never been to before because I recognized that it had a better opportunity for getting into that house hack that I was trying to save up for. So first and foremost, open up your eyes to the nation as your real estate market, as opposed to just what's right in front of you. Secondly, definitely agree as rates continue to increase as supply is low as the demographic of first-time and you no know, second-time home buyers continues to shift, I don't see the evidence for a massive price drop that appears to be looming. Um, if you look at, you know, recessions are typically uh, looked at in hindsight, right? We've already seen. You know, look at the stock market. You know, significant decreases in some of our peaks from just 2022 and COVID induced 2021. We've already had a decent slide down. Uh, the, Foreclosures are not uh, occurring at the level they might have been in 2008 because lending practices are different. And something that I use to really summarize why I don't think we have too much of an issue is because if tomorrow, if tomorrow interest rates got cut in half, how many mortgage applications would you have this week? There'd be I'm so many people coming to you saying, oh, finally, yes, which tells me there is demand. It is not for a lack of interest in procuring more homes that people aren't buying. There is so many, I guess, home, potential home buyers out there that are just sitting, waiting, you know, just hanging on and looking for that perfect opportunity to strike. It's everywhere because a lot of individuals lived through 2008 and they recognized, hey, if I'd had this cash saved up in advance of this downturn, I could have swooped up all these properties or, oh, I could have done so well. And you have a significant portion of real estate investors and people who aren't real estate investors, even home buyers who recognize, oh man, media saying this, there's fear in the air. I'm going to save up cash. I'm going to wait in the sidelines. The second that prices, let's say, let's, let's go crazy. Let's say prices everywhere take a 10% drop or mortgage rates everywhere take a two point drop. Gold rush, go in, it's done. We need, we need to get a house right now. We need to apply. Come on, this is the time. Bye, bye, bye. I have a hundred percent. All right, Jim Kramer. All right, Jim Kramer. Keep it down <laughs> over there, bro. <laughs> I have a hundred percent confidence that that's what happened, because again, that is where we're at with our demographics. That is where people are at when it comes to home buying. So, I think we'll continue to see rates increase throughout the rest of 2023. I could see rates starting to ebb and more flatten out back into 2023. I don't think rate cuts are in the cards for us this coming year. Uh, you're, you're talking about on, the Federal Reserve, right? You're not talking about mortgage yeah. rates. You're talking about the Federal Reserve and the Fed. Fund. I'm talking Federal Reserve. Yep, I'm talking Federal Reserve. I think that will continue to increase and start to flatline towards the end of 2023, depending on if our CPI numbers continue to uh, stay sticky, to use a 
that term or uh, continue to fall. And 2024, we'd start to see rates start to come back down. In the meantime, there are going to be certain markets that experience uh, drawbacks in their most luxury, most class A pricing. And the markets that typically have a lower median home value, which usually is in Midwest or the Southeast, not always, but usually it's what um, typically happens in the Midwest. Those markets will continue to see either flat growth or very low increases in their uh, home values or home uh, increases in rent values. There's going to be opportunities where, because there is a fear on what could happen, there's going to be opportunity where people are wanting to sell their assets. People are going to want to get to different asset class. And if you can do your homework and know this is where I want to be, this is why, and be prepared for that opportunity, you'll find success. So from a, a geographic standpoint, right? You know, mm-hmm. you talked about, well, wherever you live, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to buy there. There's people buying real estate cross state lines. And, you know, I've done that. I own a property in, in the state of Florida. Uh, and we had somebody on the podcast, a couple of people on the podcast that have done that, including, you know, Marcus Shira, who's a friend of mine, who's in Hawaii. And that's an appreciation play, not a cash flow play out there. And he uh, scaled into uh, some, you know, single families in the state of Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh from 5,000 miles away, you know? You're seeing more and more stories like that. And um, like the tool that you guys are going to be presenting um, very soon. And, and the launch date the launch date is when again? About late March uh, right now. I've been planning for late March. Okay. Okay. So late March. And like, do you want to share maybe a top five markets or no? Like that you think, uh, you can be very general if you want to be general in terms of like states or whatever. Like, are there some places that you think could be opportunities where you're, t- you're seeing the data? Stack up. Um. Yeah. So I can tell you, uh, specifically in multifamily, uh, for the apartment syndications where I like in Texas, I definitely I've been looking a lot to that recently. Um, I like specific for multifamily syndication is the north central northwestern Texas. Big fan of Waco, Lubbock, Amarillo, San Angelo, and I like um, San Antonio and Arlington. I like all of those areas. One, the population growth is increasing. Those areas have anywhere from like nearly 100,000 people to, I mean, Arlington, you're, I mean, you're right there in the DFW area, to Lubbock, nearly, last time I checked, nearly a quarter million people. And that's still considered a secondary market compared to Dallas-Fort Worth and other major metropolitan areas like Houston. Those all have not only consistent population growth around the, is at least approaching, if not much higher than 100,000 people, but they are trending in the positive directions. Over the last several, you know, five to 10 years, they've continued to increase slowly but surely, and in some cases much more quickly, and they're projected to go much higher. Additionally, those markets have the job opportunities that are less susceptible to seasonal variation, like oil and gas. So as anyone in that industry will tell you, as the barrels go over hundred bucks a barrel, fantastic. It shoots down to 30 bucks a barrel or even negative, not so great. And so when you track certain markets in Texas, you can check their employment will spike in a crater within one year. And you can track that and overlay it with oil prices because that's a major employer. So those markets that I'm looking at have the resiliency and the fact that their job sector is buoyed by healthcare, government, hospitality, education, in some cases, manufacturing. 
And those jobs are from either Fortune 500 or large well-known companies putting in maybe Amazon fulfillment centers or SpaceX outside of Waco or other types of companies that are coming in with commitments to do millions of dollars in uh, investments in warehouses, industrial spaces with jobs that are paying $15 plus an hour. So I like not only the population that's coming, but the jobs as well, because we all know as their jobs are created, the people will come to find them. If you provide the opportunity for economic advancement, people will relocate and they will find the way to get there just to fulfill that job role. So I like those two things. In addition, looking into those inside of those markets, the price for the, the rent is lower than you're going to get in uh, like maybe a more Dallas Fort Worth specifically. However, the price per door, which is what we use in commercial multifamily syndication, so price per unit of a complex or even median home value is much lower than what you're going to have in a more hot market, I'll say, or much more congested market. So even though the rent's going to be lower, your cost of acquisition is so much lower as well. So those returns you're looking for, like your cash on cash, your ARR, your IRR, or the rental side, just seeing your, your monthly cash flow and overall uh, total return, you have a much better return in acquisition and profit during your hold period because you've been able to buy somewhere where the price per door is lower, but you know, based on the market trends that in five to 10 years, it's going to continue to increase and you're getting that national appreciation on top of it. So I like those areas for all those reasons. And then intra-market for those cities, there's of course going to be spots that are higher crime or lower crime, but depending on what software you use or what tools you use, you can find where those areas are. And then you can check to see what I really like it to do is also look at the path of progress. And for each of those cities, I can tell you that if I'm in Waco, I know Baylor is towards the central northeast, sorry, central to central northeast of the city right by the river. I want to be looking at properties that are in the south-southwest as the city continues to expand that direction. And so what I'm looking for is, okay, if I'm looking for a nationally recognized um, like a food retailer, where's the, where's the Hardee's? Where's the Fuddruckers? Where's the Taco Bell? Where's the Chick-fil-A? Where are these large brands investing in new franchises? In addition to like things like Dick Sporting Goods and Top Golf and movie theaters, where are those things expanding? Where are they building? I know in each of those cities what direction they're building in. So not only am I buying in a city that's doing really well, I have the capacity to buy in the direction the city's expanding into. So I'm buoyed by the fact that I'm going to be providing inventory via my acquisition in the section of the city that new renters already want to be in. And so for all those reasons, I like those cities that I mentioned earlier. I have a good idea of where the path of progress is. I can track investment by large Fortune 500 companies. I can see a very clear line of progress. Population jobs going in the right way. The cost per door is lower than a primary market than it is in the secondary and tertiary market. And for multifamily syndication, that's where I'm focusing. Cool. So I have uh, a couple of investors, you know, this kind of unique St. Louis, Texas dynamic. I had one investor that's in St. Louis investing in Texas and then another person in Texas investing in St. Louis. And these two people know each other. And so I'm just curious, you know, when you look at the multifamily network uh, opportunities in Texas and compare that to say, you know, St. Louis, St. Louis city, uh, and mm -hmm. compare, um, you know, how would you contrast the opportunities in St. Louis versus, you know, the, the area that you're investing in, in North Texas, Northwest sure. Texas? Sure. So I have actually looked in uh, properties here in St. Louis and we toured a 232 unit up in the North, uh, Northern St. Louis, uh, out in the County, um, not maybe about a year ago. 
and we were looking at it like floor scent or hazelwood or or, or, up in that area yeah and what we were looking at is one st louis is fighting against a a lot of bad publicity now as someone who lives you know understands the market who understands what's going on out here um st louis has had a tough time beating its reputation as an area that maybe harbors crime or isn't safe and when you move here especially, you know, we're in South City, in the county especially, you recognize that that's not necessarily the case. And of course, like in any city, there are going to be areas that are more favorable or less favorable for a variety of conditions. But if you look in St. Louis County, the amount of suburban residential development, absolutely buying up land, obliterating everything with expectations and continuing to grow, especially as you get out, um, like St. Charles, especially, Yep. There is so much growing, not only the residential side, but then also the commercial spaces to support them, family fun zones, movie theaters, um, new entertainment and shopping districts. People cannot get enough of, of you know St. Louis County. There's so much growth and development happening. And so I know people in my own um, multifamily mindset group who actively buy you know apartment complexes in the county. Uh, someone just did like a 70 or 80 unit not too long ago. I love what's going on out there. You also have some investment in more more west, but uh, in Missouri wineries that are also an attractive uh, option for STRs, MTRs, and more vacation rentals. And on the south side of St. Louis, which where is where I live and where my fourplex is, you know, you also have a lot of development going on in the Tower Grove region. Um, not all, on my street right now. There's no less than three flips right now. People are continuing to see that. As St. Louis grows, and it's slow, but it's growing. And St. Louis, I don't know if you're aware of this, is the U.S. Center for Agricultural Science PhDs and uh, opportunities, which is a burgeoning field, especially as agriculture and fruit production becomes more and more critical as we have a growing population. Right, right. There is an opportunity to capitalize on the fact that St. Louis is routinely ranked in the top 10 cities for young entrepreneurs, young professionals. People want to move here. They like the lower cost of living. They like the multicultural opportunities that are evident via our restaurants uh, and uh, communities that we have here. All of that comes together to say St. Louis is one of those places that if you can find the right spot for you and the right opportunity, you are going to have the opportunity to continue to either invest in the county and see that growth as that urban sprawl continues to move westward. Or in the city, as the revitalization products continue and cities get reclaimed and now you have chic boutiques and trendy new bars as young professionals flock to a low cost of living city, there is so many ways to make money in the city of St. Louis. And I like it. It's why I bought my fourplex here. If I didn't believe in what was going on here, I wouldn't have staked my claim. Because something I truly believe in when it comes to real estate is you're not buying the property, you're buying everything around it too. I'm buying my neighbors. I'm buying their struggles. I'm <laughs> buying how well they're doing. I'm buying how invested they are in their property. Because if they don't, if they take care of theirs, mine's going to look better. If they don't take care of it, mine's going to look worse. I'm investing in the whole region around me and how it's going to affect my investment long term. So I would say I like it compared to Texas. The one reason that I'm not doing it more when it comes to commercial multifamily is that the team that we work with has more of their operations set up in Texas already. And so it'd be more reinventing the wheel to bring them to St. Louis. But that's not to say that I haven't looked in St. Louis and that there aren't people I know right now buying in St. Louis for multifamily apartments.
if you were going to kind of stick, just throw out one data point that's different, bad or worse, doesn't matter what it is. Just what, what, what would you say is different in terms of just prices, rents, appreciation, property taxes? Like what's, what's one major difference or what's a difference comparing the two? Appreciation for sure. Um, for sure, appreciation, both natural and forced. You know, Texas has the added benefit of being everywhere on in media and in news. Everyone wants Texas. Texas, Texas, Texas. Um, companies moving there, people are moving there. And because of the high demand, I think DFW's kind of planned to go to like 11 million people then by 2030. You know, I think there are like five or six right now. So many people moving there. Demand is so high that your natural appreciation continues to out um outrun the typically like two to three percent per year that people can account for it can be much much higher than that and forced appreciation when you're able to go in so many people looking for housing in those areas and you're able to take those and maybe c minus assets reposition them into a b and you provide that housing in that path of progress you're able to reclaim a lot of that value on your now boosted rents compared to where they were before Whereas in St. Louis, it, like we talked about, has a reputation it's working against. It's also in the Midwest, which typically has enjoyed um, lower appreciation, but more consistent home values, lower median, lower median home values compared to other parts of the country. So people can get in here and have a higher cash flow situation uh, with, and then be planning to say, I'm going to own this property for 20 years. It's going to appreciate a little bit here and there. Even if I do a massive remodel, it's not going to, you know, quadruple in value like it might in other areas, but you also typically have maybe lower maintenance and it's been more consistent than people have over time. So I would say the appreciations for me is the biggest difference in how I'm calculating my uh, long-term holding strategy for either a large complex in Texas or a fourplex in St. Louis. It's just different. Yeah. Th- thank you for sharing that. that. That's, I love that. Okay. So the, the average person in their twenties, right? Like cost of living has gone up dramatically in the last few years as inflation has, you know, gotten crazy. Um, the savings rates are, are, are definitely going down and especially in the last 12 months, I saw a stat recently and, and these stats are, can sometimes we have lagging data. Um, so take this with a grain of salt, but I think like 48 to 52% of American working Americans don't have more than a thousand dollars saved. So if you don't have money saved, right? Like that means you're not investing mm-hmm. and keeping up with inflation and those, those kind of things. So if you were saying, if you're going to talk to somebody, you know, in, in your age range, let's just start there in your age range, which, what are you like? 24, 22, I'm 23, 23. Okay. So give, give or take five, six years up or down. Sure. And, and you wanted to pass on some ideas to really latch onto, to be able to tackle someone else's, their, their, their wealth building journey and getting ahead. And it's all about, you know, having taken control of your life and having control of your future. Uh, what advice would you give them in terms of of specifically real estate? Yes. What you want most is more important than what you want now. By and large, that is the defining principle that I could attribute most of my success to when it comes to internally. So when it comes to real estate, if you are on the younger end of the age bracket, you're an 18, this is the time to learn as much as possible about real estate, whether you're going right into the workforce, whether you're going to college, look for the opportunities. People who do are successful in real estate love talking about their success in real estate because they like passing the information on. They want to show other people that it's possible too. And if you're in this younger age bracket, 
people love to mentor you. They typically don't know everything they want to do earning wise, and they can't wait to share their lessons. So use OPM, other people's money, and then use OPM, other people's mistakes. People who come before you will tell you everything to avoid and take it with a grain of salt. But if you talk to a hundred people that each have been in real estate for 10 years and you get exactly what they wish they would have done, what worked well for them, you have a hundred people's 10 years of experience Meaning you have a thousand years of experience that you just got to talk to and you're only 18 years old or 28 years old. Then understand that what you want most is more important than what you want now. And understand that you might want to live in a nice luxury apartment while you're going to college or you might want to you know, uh, spend extra money on that nice weekend out. Spending time investing in your education into real estate, what strategy specifically works for you whether that's wholesaling, flipping, long-term rentals, or something else, what gets you to your goal? Two, what cuts can you make to your current spending situation to enable you to invest more of that money? And three, what income-generating activities can you start act, you know, participating in, whether that's like what I did and helping people move into their houses for you know, 150 bucks or qualifying for other scholarships if you're at college that you can use to pocket that money, did that twice, and putting that money away to get to your first transaction, which I, of course, am going to recommend a house hack. And then assuming you have the freedom, move somewhere that has a housing market that you can afford to house hack in. Whether you want to do it like I did with the fourplex and rent out the other units, or you want to buy a single family house or rent out the rooms. Pick yourself up, go find the opportunity, because the only one coming to do it for you is you. No one's going to buy the house for you, get the return set up and start building you well. You have to do it. And you can either look back in 10 years and say, man, I wish I did that when I was younger. Or you can be the person in 10 years saying, man, I'm so glad I did that when I was younger and be enjoying the fruits of your labor. So think about what you want most compared to what you want now. And if you do that for just a few years in your 20s, late teens, late 20s, you can become so much further ahead by making that sacrifice to where you no longer ever have to consider, man, I really wish that I had the time off work to go do this thing, or I wish that I had the extra funds to go do this amazing hobby that I'm really passionate about. You don't have to worry about that because you already did the work years ago to provide for you right now. And it's going to keep providing for you. And oh, another thing for people in your youth, pending you know, major accidents, you're going to be here a while. Life is longer than just your 20s. Expand your time horizon. Start thinking about your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, your 70s. It's going to be really nice to be able to get to retirement age, traditional retirement age, and have those properties set up. And no, man, oh man, am I sitting pretty. Recognize that you have time. Time is running out, but you have time to make these things happen. And you're going to need it because you're going to be around for a while. So prioritize. Yeah, I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Speaking of the, of the time thing, like I, I, as I've gotten further into my own real estate journey and seeing some things like cost segregation, which I didn't understand, mm -hmm. like the whole light bulb just like blew oh, up my yeah. brain. Like, Love so me a cost seg. So you're saying that I can have a W2 job making money and spend a lot of time on real estate and then build up my portfolio and then like accelerate my depreciation and wipe out my tax liability on my W2, which I couldn't do before because there's limits to it. Okay. I want, I want more of it. Give me some more of it. Okay. What, what do I got to do to get more of it? 
I have to go generate more income. Um, but anyway, anyway uh, that's for probably a different uh, conversation. Time. Warren Buffett is the be- one of the best investors of all time. And one of the things that I can kind of take away from reading about him and watching about him and is that he had this unique ability to be able to think when he was 30 years old, he was thinking 30 years down the road, down the road. When he was 50 years old, he was thinking 30 years down the road. When he's 88 years old, now 92, he's still thinking 30 years down the road. And to have that foresight to think that far down the line, down the line when most people are thinking about today or tomorrow, um, mm-hmm. definitely one of the things that has, I think, helped him with that perspective, which the same thing applies here. We're talking about real estate. What you just said, like thinking now about maybe when you're 30s, your 40s, your 50s and beyond, like, you know, time when values go up and someone else is paying your mortgage down, you know, like it, the numbers just add up to amazing numbers. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk through here is you, you mentioned the side hustles and generating income. Um, are there any opportunities, you know, specifically right here, right, right now, or people that you know, or even, even your guys' company coming up? I mean, do you know any people out there in this industry that are looking or would want people to come in and maybe learn the ropes at a internship, quote unquote, internship type of level and do kind of the legwork, uh, bird dogging kind of things? Are there anything, any things out there that you know of um, or people looking for help? Yeah. Um, so I would say in the multifamily space, um, there's always people who are looking for operators who can do some of the grunt work. So when I got started, um, I would meet with someone who was doing deals and they, I asked them, what do you hate about what you're doing? What's the least favorite part of this transaction? They go, oh, I don't want to do, I don't want to review a rent roll. I don't want to review a T12. I don't want to have to break down an offering memorandum or an OM. I don't want to have to research the local market. I went, great, I'll go do that. And I would go take the information unpaid and go find it, summarize it, bring it to them and say, is this what you want? And they'd say, yeah, that's cool. But change this, change this, change this, change this. Okay, great. Do it. And over three or four or five rounds, I would custom curtail all reports directly to what they like to see. So if you're in the multifamily space, you're looking to do big transactions, you find a sponsor who is looking to, who is still doing deals, find what part of the process they hate the most, whether that's underwriting or due diligence or capital raising. And if you can provide that feature or that function to them, more than likely they will GP or KP you into their next deal and get you a chunk of that acquisition fee so you can start making some money. On the okay. other side, badass, property man- yeah. On the other side, property management companies are typically always looking for a maintenance coordinator or some type of leasing agent or someone to help with admin work. Like it's the one that I was working with. So I was able to call them up and say, Hey, look, I have I'm I was a college student, I've never done this before, but I have all this time. If you're looking for someone to go and do your uh, move in and move out inspections, take the photos on your app, whether it's Appfolio or something like that, and just to help you turn properties, I can do that for you know, 10, 15 bucks an hour. Great. Do you have any, if you could teach yourself handyman skills too, if you have some type of background, maybe light uh, handyman work, maybe light electrical, even better. They'll hire you in a heartbeat. Um, those are two that come off the top of my mind most cool. immediately. And otherwise you can work with uh, wholesalers. So the first ever real estate deal I did, the first one I ever closed was a virtual wholesaling deal when I was in Boise and I knew someone in St. Louis. And this is crazy. Here, listen to this. I knew someone 
from my multifamily, from my, sorry, not my multifamily, from my other uh, uh, real estate mastermind I was in, I knew a guy who was wholesaling in St. Louis. And because I was looking to buy my house hack in St. Louis, I knew an agent. So one day I get a call from an agent. He says, hey, I have a client who's looking to sell a house. I think it might work for a wholesale. Are you interested? I'm like, yeah, I'm interested. So there's a seller and then there's an agent and the agent contacts me. I say, hey, I don't have the capacity to do a transaction in St. Louis, but I know someone who does. So I call my contact in St. Louis and I say, hey, I got a wholesale or a flip. You want to take it down? He's like, yeah, sure. I connect the two of them. He says, yeah, I'll let you know if anything comes of it. I'm like, great. I get a call from him. And I'm like, hey, yeah, uh, looks like we're going to take it down, uh, but I'm actually going to give it to another wholesaler I know uh, because I don't have the capacity for it. I'm like, oh, okay. So the seller has an agent. The agent knew me. I knew a wholesaler. The wholesaler knew another guy. That guy ends up buying the property and I get sent a $2,000 check in the mail for 30 minutes worth of connecting people that I networked with. If you want to make money quickly in the same way that you uh, want to make money quickly and do it at a higher per hour rate, networking, connecting people together, understanding that what this person has, this person needs, and facilitating those transactions with the right people can make you so much money so quickly. And that's literally the first transaction I ever did. I just happened to know the right people because I've been calling them, texting them, emailing them. Opportunity came up, send it on the pipeline, two grand, 30 minutes. So I love this. The networking part is is obviously been a major part of your journey and, and doing it in the right way. Um, are, are, are you seeing or have seen people do it maybe in a way that just doesn't work out correctly or approach it from the wrong mindset? Yeah. Networking with the short term in mind. So like, I'm going to meet you this week so that you can give me a deal next week so that I can close in two weeks or applying your own internal schedule or plan to this person's expertise. That typically doesn't work. And more important than anything, and this has been repeated to me by people who've done $400 million worth of multifamily assets, the people who are some of the biggest names, the smallest names, and even in personal life, people do business with who they like and they trust even over the people who provide the best service. If someone can trust the operator or someone trusts you and you've built a relationship with them, they will continue to come to you time and time again for any service or transaction or good that they need because they know that, that you have their best interest in mind. And so for these people, I had to be networking with individuals for several months and just having consistent follow-up calls and checking in and knowing about how their kids are doing and how the baseball game went or how the trip went and getting to know people and actually liking them to the point where they had an opportunity, they kept me in mind and I was able to help them capitalize on that opportunity. So go into this networking opportunity, anything that you are going to go do or people are going to go meet, maybe it's a meetup or a conference, what have you, understand that this is a long-term investment and they are investing in you as a person and you need to be invested in them as a person. If you can do that, you'll have much greater success in networking than you would if you were going in explicitly for the tangible they'd be able to produce on a short timeline. So, so adding value to somebody with the expectations of nothing, nothing short-term is what you're saying, right? Pretty much. Yeah. 
keep the long, this is like everything, right? Keep the long term in mind. And it's typically, you know, success happens when the opportunity meets preparation. And so that success of a 30 minute $2,000 check came when the opportunity for a sale of a house came up and added the preparation of six to eight months of networking. Boom. It's those moments that the reward comes uh, clear. So when you're, when you've got this kind of path that you're, you're, you're forging, you know, you're knocking down doors, you're making things happen. You're, you're focused. Um, and not everybody's like that, right? Not everybody has that same type of, of uh, courage and belief in themselves and belief in their abilities. And just, you know what that Tim, Tim Grover talks about counting up to a deadline, not counting down to a deadline. You know, this is my goal and I'm not going to stop till I get there. Whereas most people will count down to a deadline and, and then the, the deadline comes up and it's like four, three, two, one, and you throw a shitty project over the table and then you stop. And most people just stop, mm -hmm. you know, having that mindset to keep going. Um, not everybody's got that. Uh, some people can learn it, but not everyone's got it. So the network around you, now that you're kind of out of college, right? You're out of college, you got your DOD job, you got all these things you're doing. Um, what kind of impact is that having on some of the people that have been in your, in your network, family, friends, classmates along the way? Have you seen people around you maybe uh, adjust the way that they look at things and do things differently based on kind of you leading the way in, in, you know, in that regard? Since I've started real estate, my parents have now purchased a rental down the street from them. They bought a rental from one of my parents' family friends who's moving to the area. And they're like, I'm going to buy this place. And they rented to her for a below market rate. But now they have a rental. And they bought it for a personal reason. Like any time that they have a family member or a friend that needs a place to stay, they can provide that service. And they can do it for anyone they care about. One of my best friends from college, I've been talking to him and basically banging on his head with a hammer saying, you need to buy a house hack. And so at the end of this year, I'm helping him learn how to underwrite, get in contact with all the people that I know in the St. Louis area so that he can house hack. I've had people, um, you know, he's already done several wholesales working on flips. And him and I talked together and he's like, man, there's no one in my close circle who's doing, you know, big apartment complexes. So now he is, his sense of what's possible or his sense of like other his own age um, is increased. And he understands that it's possible to, there's no limit on the success I can have and the transaction sizes I can do because he's seen people like myself do it. And I can see him and go, wow, you know, these amazing people at this high level. I understand the power of networking is so much more influential than I ever previously thought. Yeah. And so some people in my life have definitely started to see the light that real estate can provide and how, hey, there's other ways I can invest. And on the other hand, there are some people who definitely don't want to hear it. And that's probably been one of my biggest hurdles is when you can explain to someone, hey, there's a different way to do things. You, If you want to work your job in your W-2 and you love it, that's fantastic. But wouldn't it be nice to not have to rely upon that income? So if something ever happened or if you wanted to walk away, you could. Or wouldn't you like to have that little extra security or the opportunity to spend money doing things you want to do? When you communicate to them that there is another way, I've definitely had some pushback uh, from some individuals who just choose not to see it that way or don't believe in it's a the ability to provide what I say can provide and even hostility um, have had, you know, people compare me to a criminal for being investing in real estate. And yeah, you, you for sure. You, you yourself investing in real yeah. estate means you're a criminal. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I, I had someone compare me to uh, no, Nixon and Watergate. Uh, this look, yeah. 
Yep. This guy at work said, Hey, uh, you're, uh, that's just how he felt. And that's fine. You know, that's, uh, that's what people are going to choose to believe. And at the end of the day, if you're going to be on a path of self-development and growth and education, there are going to be people around you who see your success and are going to say, I can do that too. And they're going to want to climb with you. And there are going to be others that are going to say, you know what? Thanks for appreciate. Thanks for showing me that it's not for me and that's fine. And there are going to be even others still who choose to vilify what you're doing or be antagonistic towards your path for whatever reason. It could be internal. It could be external recognizing that on your path, if you can provide value to the ones who want value provided to them, you can treat people in the best way possible. And at the end of the night, go to bed with a clear conscience, then you are doing things in a way that will provide not only for you, but enrich the community around you in a way that you never feel like you're being forced to pull people up who don't want to get pulled. Instead, you're enriching those who want to enrich you in both spirit financially and a community. Yeah. I, I love talking about this because, you know, on this channel, we talk about the comfort zone, you know, like people in their, their equilibrium and, you know, when things get rough, things get tough and maybe your car breaks down or whatever happens and you borrow money and you work to be able to, you know, save back up money, cut things and you get back to where you can pay the person back to fix your car. And also you get back to the equilibrium and it's like, well, then what does that person do? Do they keep doing those things that got them there or or do they stop? And and most people probably stop, right? I mean, it's uncomfortable to be down here and that pushes you out of your comfort zone to get to equilibrium. And then you know, once mm. you start going above that equilibrium to these higher levels of success, sometimes that can be just as uncomfortable as when you're down here. And so you kind of fall back into your old behaviors and and whatnot. And so, yeah, I mean, so, someone has to be ready to receive the information and, and maybe even a point in their life where their their pain is is greater for the situation than the pain mm. of, the, of the change. And, um, and that's just kind of how it is probably. But like at, at the same time though, it doesn't mean, doesn't mean that I shouldn't, or you shouldn't, or anybody else that's trying to help somebody shouldn't still talk about it or put it out there. Because I think from a collective subconscious, right? Like this collective subconscious of this country is get a job, get a 401k, retire at 60 or whatever. That's the basics. Right. And well, well, that's great. But what if something happens to you? You know, what if we want more than that? What if you want to be able to show your, your kids and your network and your family that I'm a badass and I can go set out a goal and do something and maybe inspire the next person. And there's another way. And so if more and more people were talking like that and, and, and thinking about that and putting it out there like that, maybe as a collective subconscious, you start to shift uh, the way people look at, at this stuff, you know, and, and, and shoot in 10 years, 20 years, AI, I mean, how many jobs are going to be out there still compared to what there are now? And there's going to be a shift in that way too. So how are we going to make ourselves more valuable? Uh, and those are the things that I think uh, are something to, to, to think about too. I mean, you know, you out there putting it out there with your friends, I, I just love to hear that, okay, people in your life and people in your circle are seeing that like, well, you know, not, not no offense to anybody, but like, but like, if he can do it, maybe I can do it. Like, that's kind of my purpose too. Is like, I'm yeah. just a regular Joe. Like, dude, I don't, nothing special about me. I just work harder than the next person. That's it. And if I can maybe inspire the next person that if I can do it, you can do it. Then, you know, maybe that's uh, you know, if it helps a couple of people, that's what it's all about. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. You were going to say something. No, completely agree. I mean, I remember when I was first getting into real estate and I was walking outside listening to bigger pockets podcasts and people were like, Oh man, just take consistent action. And I'm like, man, you don't know what you're talking about. Real estate's 
that's such a big thing. How do you do that? And, you know, I was trying to get over some of those, you know, preconceptions I've had. And just like everything else in my life, I decided to just give it a try, check, check it out. It really is the small, consistent action that allows you to grow and succeed the way you do. And it's that compounding of effort over time that allows you to get to where it is that you want to go. And when you have those people around you that see, hey, he's showing up every day for two hours and just doing this real estate thing every day. As the years go by and as they have gone by and I've gotten to where I am now, people are like, oh, okay, well, I know you. And I remember when you were in middle school and the weirdo you were then, and I know <laughs> you now. <laughs> so I think I can do this too. And then people start asking questions. And then you say, hey, you can do this too. I support you. It's just a little bit of action that it takes every day. And then some of the biggest lessons I've had to learn as well is allowing people to walk their own path. Just because they can do it doesn't mean they're going to want to do it the way that you want to, the speed you want to do it, or in the way you want to do it. So if you truly believe in wealth building, maybe real estate investing, and creating a life that you want to live, provide people the tools and they get out of their way. Give them the encouragement and allow them to build the same way that you were allowed to build. Because you can't build it for them or they'll never appreciate or know how to maintain it when you're gone. So true. So true. So, so you grew up in Iowa, right? Been all over mm -hmm. the country. And now you've been in St. Louis for a couple of years. Um, do you have a favorite location for food? What's your favorite place here in St. Louis? Oh man. I actually got a list of my phone of about 60 of my go-to spots. I love them. Uh, so I love Pagan Wine Bar. It's in Central West End uh, for like nice glass of wine. I uh, like Brennan's. I like I have cigars and uh, pipes, um, so I like going there and smoke a cigar on the club. I like uh, Lorenzo's on the hill. I'm a big fan of Salt and Smoke and the oh, what's the, what am I thinking? Scottish Arms, yeah, uh, restaurant. Love yeah. the two of them. And occasionally I'll get down to. Uh, the polite society. Yeah. Good one. Yeah. Have you so, been to Pap have you been to Pappy's? I have been to Pappy's. Yeah, I've been to Pappy's. Okay. I've been there once though. Only once. Yeah. yeah. Um, like me personally, like, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a cheese guy. So like, you know, mac and cheese, cheese you know, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. It doesn't matter. But like all kinds of great food. If I want to get pasta, I'm always asking them to throw some some white mozzarella cheese on top and bake that and whether it be um uh, oh. or lasagna or whatever. But um, there's a gentleman that I literally just saw on Saturday. His name is Michael Allen, and he's actually been on this podcast. He was the actually the first episode of this podcast, and he's in the Coast Guard. Um, did some work uh, with, uh, um, oh my God, uh, Social Bank. Uh, now I'm just blank on the name of it, but in, in the crypto space, and mm -hmm. uh, did some coding for them. And he came in town, um, you know, last summer, and we got a chance to eat at, at Pappy's. And it was just mm -hmm. good to be able to meet some somebody face to face, you know, like that. And just saw him again and and whatnot. And and that's the thing, kind of going back to, you know, knocking down doors and no limits is like I'm in St. Louis and I do the more I do mortgages across the country. I have relationships that I've built from the ground up a thousand miles away or even, even beyond. And I got a chance to meet him and people in Hawaii and Florida and Texas and different places. And it's like, you know, mm. the only thing limiting you is maybe your own beliefs. Right, well, that anything's possible when it comes to um, you know getting things that you want. If you want to, if you want it enough, you know, if your why is strong enough, the how figures itself out. 
And, you know, in this, in this kind of uh, lane that you're in, you know, in real estate and you're investing in Texas and you've got contacts in different places, you know, what advice would you give to somebody kind of in that realm of, of how, how do you, how do you stay focused on, on focusing at this, this higher level from this vision that's strong and big and wide? How do you stay on this path like that? Staying on the path has required sacrifice and I don't want anyone to walk away from like this podcast thinking that you can have it, you can have it all at the same time, especially when you're on this path. You know, typically you'll see people who have gotten a successful, maybe they'll go on social media and you can see, hey, what they're doing now is different than what they were doing then because they've gotten to that level of success and it's what it changes. And so there have been sacrifices that is, I don't go out all the time, or I don't go spend money on weekends away, or I don't have a lot of, you know, creature comforts, you know? So when it comes to focus, I believe so strongly and that what I'm building towards, that is the time and financial independence to be able to pursue any activity, place, community, or person that I want to, without having to ever consider time and money as factors motivates me so much that I don't have to really reconsider or hype myself up on why it is that I'm doing what I'm doing. I set that belief. I can see it so clearly in the future of what my life is going to be and why I want that thing that when I compare those you know, aspirations to what I'm doing now or in, you know, a temporary distraction or convenience, it's never even a decision that I have to make. But at the same time, understanding that I can't work a full-time job and get eight hours of sleep and do multifamily syndication and be the co-founder of a software company and continue to do my bodybuilding and manage a fourplex to the best of my ability at 100% every single day. And so you hear a lot like balance is key and it is, but understanding that on your, as you're building this journey, some things are going to get more attention and more dedication at others than others do, and it's going to ebb and flow. And if you try to do all things at 100% all the time, you will burn out. And so one of the things that's been crucial to my ability to focus is allowing myself to not be at 100% in all things at all times. And saying, you know what, I am going to do fewer hours on this activity so I can do more on this activity, allowing myself to be human, allowing myself to make mistakes, allowing myself to set a plan and be okay when I don't fulfill it in its entirety or on my predetermined schedule, but having absolute certainty and that the destination that I'm driving towards is where I want to be and that the path and the progress that I'm making to get to that destination fulfill me as much, if not even more than the destination. So the, the ability to allow not to, to have to give or, or okay to give hundred percent, to be able to be okay with not hundred percent on everything. Is that something that you had to learn along the way or oh, something? Yeah. Okay. Oh, can can, can yeah. you share more about, about like how or why, what, when that happened that, that really hit you hard? Oh man. Uh, wasn't even until recently, like in the last year, um, I always had a very, innate sense of if I do not give my perfect 100% best on this thing, I have, you know, I failed. I didn't do my best. I, you know, left things on the table and I'm not fulfilling my potential. And so for a very long time, 
simply fulfilling my potential was the only kind of motivating factor I needed where I know I can do more ergo I will do more and that led to me pouring out of my cup so many different cups and nothing left for myself feeling drained feeling like I was building all these things that I wasn't really going to truly enjoy not feeling appreciated and so it took time for me to be able to do a lot of, you know, inner looking and soul searching and talking to people about it to understand that if I'm constantly pouring out of my cup into all these different things and never refreshing my own, I'm not going to enjoy the product, the progress, and I'm not going to enjoy the destination as much because I'll arrive more or less a husk of my true authentic self. because I'm not revitalizing myself. So it's been a journey the last maybe 18 to 24 months of understanding that, just because I'm not giving 100% in everything all the time doesn't mean that I'm a failure. Doesn't mean that I can't. It just means that my attention has to go to this thing for now. And the other thing's still important to me. And I'm going to get to it when I have this time. And it's on my priority list. But it's just not the number one right now. And that's okay. Because as much as it would be great if we were all this rental property pumping out machines and we could check in and check out and knock out everything, we are all people. There are human connections, there are experiences to enjoy. There are so many parts of life that are not worth missing and are going to have to adjust our personal schedules for because the purpose of life is to live it right? Not just prepare for the whole time you're on earth, right? You want to actually build a life and then live the life too. And, and that kind of goes back to, you know, people say, enjoy the process, enjoy the process, right? Well, wow. well, how do I do that? How do I actually change the way that I look at things and start to enjoy the process? Like um, it, it takes time and conversations, like you said before, of, of getting help from people. Um, any other advice you want to give about, okay, learning to love the process, not the result, that, that kind of not, not being able to really focus on the result and any advice, any, any more tips on that? Yeah. So be okay with walking alone. There are going to be people who support you and there are going to be people who are like, Hey, that's good for you. And there'll be people who maybe don't support you. And when you have that type of dedication towards where you're going, being okay with walking alone will be crucial. It doesn't mean you're going to be by yourself forever. It doesn't mean that there aren't like, you know, kindred spirits and like minds that you can connect with. And I recommend people do connect with them. I think those accountability partners is crucial. But believing in yourself, the sense that just because I'm walking alone now doesn't mean I'm wrong. doesn't mean I'm on the wrong path. It just means that I'm charting the way for someone else. At some point, someone's going to find my footsteps and they're going to see the path I walked and I'll be able to walk with them. Or they're going to have someone that'll be walking with them because the path's a little bit brighter, a little bit easier to tread. So just because you're the only person doing it doesn't mean that what you're doing is wrong. It just means it's new. It's new for your group. And the great, great part about our world and our society is that you're probably not the first person to ever do it. So even if you're the person walking alone in your community right now, if you go online, there's probably dozens of people who are trying to do or have already done what it is you're trying to do. And you have the capacity to reach out and say, I think what you're doing is amazing. Can I learn from you? Or how can I educate myself and have that support system? We're more connected than ever. This is the time to use that connection 
to build a network that allows to, that will carry you in those moments where you're feeling those moments of self-doubt. Is, is there something that that's been on your mind for a while that you haven't had the, the time for in your, in your, uh, in your schedule type of thing that you know that you should be doing or want to do that you'll do. And that's going to actually have a massive amount of payoff. It's just a matter of getting the time to do it. Is there something that you, that's on your schedule that you want to be able to dig into more of down the road? Yeah. Uh, for me, that's been the gym. So I have been a very avid gym goer since I was like 16 and I wanted to you know, lose weight for this month trip. I was taking to California and it was all hiking and backpacking and biking and need to be basically physically fit for it. And so in a nine month span, I went from 220 to 130. And then from over the next two years, from my junior year of high school to my freshman year of college, I went from 130 to 260 and spulking, and then back down to 180 and then back up to 260 and then 230. And I would do two days in the gym for a period of time. I would spend three or four or five hours in the gym every day. And I love it. I love it so much. And this last year, really like last six months or so, I've been pouring so much into Bright Investor and my multifamily and my job that I'm maybe in the gym one or two or three times a week for like an hour and a half. And that was the big issue I had to be okay with in the sense that I'm still healthy. I'm still eating my same diet and I'm still maintaining my weight. I'm just not, you know, improving and getting better right now. I'm just maintaining the status quo. And I had to be okay with that and say that the reason, the reason that I'm not doing this thing is because of this. And I'm not going backwards. I'm not, you know, being unhealthy. I'm just not progressing at the pace I would have liked to be. And I had to be fine with that and knowing that giving a hundred percent in this thing is going to be detracting from these things. And these things take priority right now while I'm building them. But as I continue to go into launch month with Bright Investor and we go into the future, getting back into my regular schedule for the gym is I'm very high on my list of priorities uh, to get back in. So, so back to Bright Investor, if somebody wanted to check out some preliminary information online, where would they go? You can go to our website at www.brightinvestor.com. And we're actually um, have our exclusive pre-launch wait list up and running. So if you click the join the wait, uh, join the wait list or join the pre-launch buttons on our website, you can drop your email address and you'll get a free gift. You will also get um, exclusive uh, news and notifications of when we do launch and updates about the platform as we get ready to show it with the world. I love it. I love it. So what? One last thing is we're running out of time here. So we didn't really dig too much into your into your day job at the DOD. Mm. I mean, you you worked on some pretty classified stuff, right? Uh, that's correct. Yeah, that's correct. Um, some of the highest levels, yes. And so the uh, the campus is, is is are you still off of off of um, uh, Broadway or do they move you? Is it is it the, the new facility open yet? No, new facility is not open yet. New facilities in uh, okay. North City they'll be open like 2025, 2026. Okay, okay, so you're still off. Am I able to say that out loud? Are, are you able to say that out loud where your guys' facility is? Is that, is that allowed? Can we do that? Yeah, it's on Google Maps. It, it's, it's, <laughs> it's very clear, yeah, where we're at. Yeah, it's, you know, you take you can take Arsenal actually straight to the front gate uh, right by the water. Uh, yeah, we're right there. Dude, so I this was probably like seven years ago. I was doing a, a mortgage for a gentleman who worked there. And honestly, I've lived in St. Louis my entire life. I didn't know what it was. 
or existed. And, you know, I worked with clients in, in the military and the government in the DC area for since 2012, really. And I'm surprised that I wasn't aware of it before then. So this client gives me his address to his, his work address to pass on some documents. And I show up there and he's like, yeah, go in there. And, you know, there'll be people, people at the front, just, you know, tell them why you're there and blah, 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 blah. And like, I, I drive in past the front gate and I went too far. And all of a sudden, like all these guns, like came out of nowhere, like, boom, like at my face, like, oh, sugar plum fairy. What did I just do? <laughs> and so we got the message related. He comes out, we get the documents and they're like, get, pretty much get the hell out of here, bro. Don't ever come back. Um, but yeah, that was my first experience with the, with, uh, uh, not geo, so to speak. But yeah. Nah, so, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, go for it. So, so, so what do you do there in general? So you're in coding, you are in, what are you doing there exactly? Uh, so I can give some high level uh, overview, but what we do there is we're pretty much the eyes of the nation. So we deal with satellites and mapping and images and supporting the warfighter, uh, aiding humanitarian crises and using imagery to help make, help policymakers make decisions and take action. So um, one of our famed examples is like when Hurricane Katrina comes by, you know, we would take images of, you know, areas that maybe like in uh, the island nations that are on the way in the path of destruction, we can help facilitate humanitarian aid by taking a picture and saying, okay, here's the road network for, and here's the road network after, and we can see where utilities are down, what roads are blocked and which towns are cut off from evacuation or aid. So we can now prioritize where it is that we need to send our you know, emergency evac and response teams first. Or if we're going to have something like, um, you know, I think uh, I got to check my mind here, do a little roll the decks of <laughs> things, fun stuff. Um, or like warfighters, so supporting um, operations and understanding this is where we need to go, this is why we need to do it, what's going on in the area, what buildings are there, and making sure that our guys on the ground have the information they need to, you know, go on operations and missions effectively, all things that uh, our, our agency does. Yeah, I know we want to stay on a high level on that. Um, one more question on top of that, because you know I work with a lot of clients in the mortgage industry, in the DC market. A lot of that clientele are government uh, workers working for certain agencies or even in the private sector, but especially the ones that work in the government. You know, The level of skills that they have and whatever their, their specific job is, a lot of those skills actually translate in the open market it would be in consulting or a side hustle or a side business or whatnot. And I think more and more people are starting to kind of, um, you know, spend more time kind of building their craft outside in, in the private market. Um, from a mindset standpoint, we probably don't want to go into specifics, but but doing that job that you do, you know, right now with the DOD, uh, what parts of the mindset maybe translate into these other things that you're doing uh, in terms of building the businesses and the real estate? What, what's up from just a mindset standpoint? What, what, what transfers over? Yeah, I mean, government does operate on a very different time scale than maybe private enterprise does. And so government, they're always thinking, okay, how is this, what is this initiative going to look like in five years or 10 years or 20 years? And when we're looking at projects to take on or why we're going to invest uh, certain resources and in certain initiatives, they're looking at a much longer time scale. And so that has translated pretty well into business where I'm not looking at a quarter by quarter basis. I'm looking at what's going on way down the time horizon that I can prepare for now. Um, it's also shown me and translated over a lot of people in government are pretty conservative, not, not like politically leaning, but conservative as not huge risk takers and like to plan things out. They're pretty analytical and they have a very set 
uh, process for how they intake and you know output information. They have uh, steps they want to take over and over again, so they can get very repeatable. And that has translated well into business, where I can take the systems that they're that we build at DoD and to get the repeatable workflow and implement it in other players of my business where I can say, if I can notate this, write it down, pour the documentation process for how to do this thing, then it gets way more you know, time efficient to do it again and again and again. And that's a big thing in the DoD is they write everything down. Everything's documented. We know exactly how to do something because somebody wrote the step-by-step process maybe a year or two ago and I can always go cross-reference and check my own notes and check previous comparables to understand, oh, this is what worked then. This is how I do this. Great. So that's helped a lot too. Love it. Okay. So last thing here. So from a, a big goal standpoint, are you one, because again, we kind of talked about that a little bit ago, your, your goal, your vision is so strong. Like nothing's going to deviate you from that goal. You're thinking long-term versus necessarily the short-term. Are you one that likes to talk about those big goals or keep them to yourself until they become reality? Where, where do you fall on that side of the things? Yeah. Um, so I will typically write big goals like on my whiteboard on my wall. And I will tell people about it if they ask, but I'm, I don't always go out and on social media and say, I'm going to do this big thing and you're going to watch me do it. I typically will achieve them uh, and then go tell people about them or I'll say, hey, here's what I'm planning. I'll let you guys know when I get it done. And that's where I go. But for... Um, this point in my life, definitely, I have no problem sharing the big goals I'm going after. And I'm just not going to be telling people about that every single day. I'm going to say, here's what I'm doing. I'll give you a call when I've done it. And I go off and I go in the dark and I get it done. So okay. for uh, so for goals right now, uh, launching Bright Investor this month. And my goal is to build a community of Bright Investors 100,000 strong in the next five to seven years. That's so- what I want. So from so hundred thousand in five years and that community, how does that look? Is that a is that a Discord? Is it a is it a Facebook community? Is it just a newsletter? What what does that mean in terms of what your actual goal yeah. is? Look, what, that is a hundred thousand. Yeah, it's a hundred thousand subscribers to the Bright Investor software in five years. Okay, hundred thousand people taking action, investing in real estate, buying the better locations, finding those diamonds in the rough. Okay. Is there a statistic out there that says how many people in this country are are actual real estate investors, people with, you know, are one rental, let alone just a house, but just one rental? Is that data even is it that does that data exist? I don't even know. There are estimates that are older, but not like a active tracked number. So we have a couple of comps we work off of. So for example, bigger pockets. Bigger pockets has like 2.6 million people on their platform. And some of those are free. Some people are doing research. And I typically like to operate off the 80-20 rule. So if even 20% of those people are actively doing transactions and are actually doing real estate, that's 520,000 people that are doing real estate in the US. And if I can get 20% of them to join a brand investor, great. And we're looking at a pretty good spot. There are a lot of statistics on realtors and realtors. I think they're around, oh, geez. I want to say 1.5 million or plus realtors in the US. And even there, you take 20% of them. Okay, great. There's 300,000 realtors. Awesome. And 20% of them are doing business. Okay, great. 60,000 realtors that might get value out of this 
platform by being able to answer questions for their clients or send their clients to this platform. So not only are investors getting the value out of it, but prospective home buyers are too, as we continue to add new features and new data and keep making the platform better and better. So there are rough estimates. We have goals at a hundred thousand, maybe even way more. And that's what I'm shooting for. I love it. I love it. Because if, if you're a realtor out there and you're not building your own portfolio of real estate, it's literally a missed opportunity because the kind of going back to the cost seg stuff, like if you're a realtor by default, you, you are allowed to do cost segregation, which allows you to accelerate depreciation on your rentals and increase your bottom line in terms of what's being taxed. So every realtor should be real estate, be, be a real estate investor. And if you're a real estate investor, you might as well think about this product or at least look at the product when it's available. And at the end of the day, you know, I, this is the example that I always use to talk to somebody who's not into real estate. You put 10 grand into the stock market, you get a great return. You get 10% in a year. That's $1,000. Or you could take the $10,000 and put it into real estate, buy a house, say it's your primary residence, put 3% down. And let's say you get 3% of appreciation in that first year. You know, when I ask this question to a crowd, it's like, well, 300 bucks, a thousand, what's, well, it's 9,000, 3% on 300,000, that's 9,000 in appreciation. So 9,000 versus 1,000 in, in terms of the return on stock. It's a massive difference. You're, you're scaling your dollar, leveraging your dollar in a way that you can't do in other markets. And so I, I don't know, I'm real estate. I mean, so I'm on the list of, uh, you know, pre people. So, um, I'm looking forward Appreciate to the launch, it. uh, later, later March, um, Let's say that we have you back on, you know, sometime in the future, end of 23 or whenever. What's another midterm goal that you have, that you have yeah. out there? Uh, I want to close one, if not two more transactions in the commercial multifamily space of 100 units or plus. I think we have the capacity to do it this year. I'd like to get us around at least 200 units, if not closer to 350 uh, this year. Probably run that. I'm shooting for another 30 million in assets taken down. And my other big goal is to help my best friend buy his first house plot, uh, his house, his first house hack or fourplex. I want him to buy that this year, get him on his journey. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And then, you know, that's, those are the things that are really tracking for me as that's, if I can end this year and we've done those things, oh man, am I going to be a lucky guy <laughs> to do this fun stuff? I love it. I love it. I love the goals. I love the dedication. I love, I love the focus. And, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, the ability to like realize, Hey, at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to reach all your goals. You're not going to be able to be perfect. Sometimes it just takes the grace and the effort and just realize that you're doing the work every single day. And just the work alone is going to get you to the next level. Um, you know, I have one more question for you. I'm sorry to ask this, but there's one more question for you. Is there something that you did on this journey that opened up a door that like completely blew your mind, never even imagined, even thinking about it. And like you got there and like, oh crap, this thing happened. I had no idea this was even possible. I'd say there's a couple on this whole journey. Um, one, applying for the smart scholarship was a massive turning point. And getting to me to where I not only had the financial backing, but the reduction in stress and the, the I guess, infusion of time into my schedule and allow me to achieve that goal that I've been working for since I was like 10 years old, right? And finally seeing that pay off when I was 18 or 19. Like, okay, I did that. What's next? That was definitely a huge pivotal moment that allowed me to go on to the next things I ended up doing. 
the next joining my first my uh mindset or mastermind group i remember sitting there like june of 2020 uh sorry june of 2020 yeah wait june, june 2020 yep and sitting at the dining room table and seeing the press pay now for my thousand dollar a month you know uh mastermind going oh my gosh can i afford this and going back and forth back and forth and i went screw it let's do it hitting that button got me to here that button got clicking that got me into wholesaling connecting to multifamily to multifamily syndication through to house hack just clicking that button and starting to start did it for me to be able to do it um that was a massive damn. one damn those those two things and then commenting on Drew's Facebook post when he said, Hey, I'm looking to network with people and hit me up. And there were like 50 different people who had commented. And I was like, uh, am I really going to drop my comment on this guy? And I'm like, I don't know him. He's, he's just like looking for people to network with and making the decision to say, yeah, why not? Hey man, let's connect. Entire business launched from that one Facebook comment, that one mastermind joining, that one scholarship that I decided to apply for. Those are three massive moments that have truly defined where I'm at today. And uh, I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm glad I asked that question because you just never know. When you go do something that worked, it means something. It's not lost. Even if it fails that work, it means something. It changes the way you look at things. It changes the way you believe in yourself on, on taking a chance. So um, I just love to spend time on, on, on this type of stuff talking about things that people are doing that, you know what, like other people in that, in that age range, especially may not even believe it's possible, but anything is possible mm. if you want it enough. And so, uh, love it. We're off to catch back up very soon. Donato. Thanks again for making time. Um, this is actually the longest podcast that I've had. So really, so yeah, yeah. I, I love oh, it. Wow. Love, yeah. This is good stuff, man. A lot, a lot, a lot to unpack here. So hopefully people who, people who have gotten this far on this two hour interview, I hope it's been helpful. Um, okay. Do you want to do you want to do you want to test something out real quick? Yeah, let's do it. If you've gotten this far on this podcast, go to Donato's page, follow him, and like him, and add in a comment: Smoky Mountains. Smoky Smoke, Mountains, love it. Smoky Mountains. If you get this far on this podcast at any point in your life, go to his page and type in Smoky Mountains, and 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 not because you're a data guy, so. We're going to be able to track this because they're going to be able to put it on different posts, probably, and maybe different sure. posts. So I need you to count it. I need you to count. Definitely. I can get the analytics in and I can start to keep in track of when and where and who. <laughs> okay. Can do. All right. Well, if we get one person that got this far, that'd be badass. So, oh, heck yeah. That'd be awesome. On Donato's uh, fa- uh, Instagram. Instagram. We're talking in- just Instagram. Instagram. That's it. What, what's, the, what's the handle again? What's the handle again? Uh, at Donato underscore Callahan. All right, man. Good talking to you. We'll talk soon. You too. All right, bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Strive for 25 podcast. If you're ready to jumpstart your financial journey and take it to the next level, you may want to join our 30-day habit challenge, which you can find on our website, strivefor25.com. Strive, F-O-R, the number 25.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, and Instagram by searching strive for the number 25. And if you have any questions and want to reach out to us, you can also connect with us on our website. Thank you so much.